What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 35 of the Lynch with Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it is an honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we are all seeking to be the leaders we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, today we get to sit down with an NCAA legend, a person that has made her mark in the area of sports for women, unlike anybody else that I know. During her time at the University of Tennessee, she helped build one of America's greatest programs in the area of women's sports. She's been recognized by being entered into the Knoxville Knoxville Sports Hall of Fame. In 2017, she received the first ever Pat Summit Award for the difference and for influencing college athletes through their experiences in helping them in their lifelong achievement. Her female student athletes during her time at the University of Tennessee averaged 93% graduation success rate. She led one of the world's greatest coaches, Pat Summit. She was a teammate of Pat and helped build a great foundation for her to build her legacy in the area of women's basketball. I'm telling you, I learned so much about leadership by sitting down with Miss Joan Cronin. Today, I hope that you'll pull up a chair. I hope you'll pull out a pen, a pencil, a notebook, get out your thumbs and type a little bit or your fingers to type on your keyboard and listen in now to my time with University of Tennessee legend, Joan Cronin. Well, Miss Joan, thank you so much for joining me today on Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you. It's great to be here, and I I am looking forward to, I hope, not being lynched, but learning a lot along the way. (laughs) That's good. That's good. You're the first person to do that to me. That's solid. (laughs) I like that. You ended up serving in 29 years. Uh, as an athletic director, the women's athletic director at the University of Tennessee. Is it hard to believe that you were in one place so long? You know, the the saying that time flies when you're having a good time, it, it, it did fly. And it's it's been amazing that I've had the opportunity to, to spend over 40 years in the world of uh, women's collegiate athletics, and I'm only 22. So that's really a, a nice uh, thing. But, you know, I... I will say this, the uh, the University of Tennessee could not have been more supportive for women's athletics. See, we know the song, you know, that Barbara Mandrell was cool before it was, was country before it was cool. Well, University of Tennessee was supportive of women's athletics really before it was cool to be. And uh, I give them a lot of credit for giving us the tools to uh, to develop a program that, that I wanted and everybody that was involved wanted to be an example of one that things were done right. What, what was women's at? So when you began back then, and I know you had coached at Tennessee prior, then went to the College of Charleston, then came back. When you began in women's athletics, give everybody a picture of what that landscape was like back then. 
Well, the landscape, is, uh, I'll go back to when I was first hired at the University of Tennessee. Um, you know, I think they paid me something like uh, $3,000 to coach women's basketball. And I used to tease Coach Summit when, you know, we were working on her million-dollar contract that I did it for 3000 But she always laughed and said, well, how many championships did you win? And which was a kind of what it's all about and how much we've grown. I love to think that we helped lay that foundation. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were, when I first went there, we were a club sport. And then to be recognized as, you know, one of the top programs in the country was really a joy. But, you know, the budgets were small. The the intensity was, we was always there because you, you always going to put pressure on yourself. So always love to win. But, you know, I knew what I wanted to do, Mike. At the age of 12, I tried out for Little League Baseball, and they wouldn't let me play because girls weren't supposed to play. And I knew I was as good as the little boys in the backyard because I'd beat them in the games we played. And I just knew that I would be a vital part of that Little League Baseball, and they wouldn't let me play. And I truly remember at that time, I wanted to be in a business that helped women learn to compete. Because I think competition is one of the key elements that helps people be successful. Now, I didn't say you had to be athletic to be successful, mm -hmm. but I think athletics is a tool to teach you to be competitive. And I think you have to be competitive. So all the way back to the age 12, you had a pretty exactly. good design on what you wanted to do. Yeah, absolutely. From the very, very beginning. Uh, and, I, you know, and I knew I wanted to be. I like always like the big picture. I at that time you almost had to be a coach to get into administration, but uh, I knew knew I wanted to be an athletic director. It's it's really ironic that uh, that that how it came about, and I never varied. I, you know, I I taught in high school. I coached a little bit. I started a program at the College of Charleston, and then had the privilege of coming back and being athletic director at the University of Tennessee. And I know we spoke a little bit before we went on air. What we what we all commonly know today as Title IX that exists in the NCAA, that was that was something that's got your fingerprints on it, doesn't it? Well it was, you know, it was passed in 1972. And at that time um, I was athletic director at the College of Charleston, and it really involved, before the NCAA, we had AIW, which was Association of Intercollegiate Athletics for Women. And uh, we were battling, trying to get equal opportunity. And, and Title IX was always said, I hated to have a law to do what was right, but we did uh, because mm. we were moving into a man's world. And, you know, how, and it was, it was an expensive world. And it was one that was, everybody was trying to figure out what's right, what's fair. And I think Title IX was the law that, to me, helped us cross over that bridge. That's awesome. Did you feel like coming out as a basketball coach and then a women's athletic director, did you physically feel there were some glass ceilings that you had to burst through to get where you are today? Well, one of the ni nicest compliments I've ever gotten and, uh, was from Sally Jenkins, who is a writer for the Washington Post. And uh, she she wrote that she thought that myself and Pat Summit etched through the glass ceilings. Mm. We did it with a with class. We weren't we were it was a 
it was a way to do it right and manage. And what I always wanted to be was people to want us there and to realize the importance of what we did. So, yeah, there were some glass ceilings to break. And, yes, there were some negotiations over the years. But, uh, you know, my favorite story is if, if I get on an airplane, and I introduce myself, especially if it's a gentleman sitting next to me. And I say, I'm Joan Cronin. I'm women's athletic director at the University of Tennessee. Most of the time, he smiles. And the next words out of this gentleman's mouth are, I have a daughter or I have a granddaughter who. And when we get to the point where moms and dads and grandmoms and granddads want those same opportunities, for their daughters as their sons, then Title IX is working. Boy, that's good. That is that is a great. Would you say, looking back, you've retired now, looking back on your career, that that was one of your great accomplishments was helping etch through that glass ceiling. What 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 would you say is your greatest accomplishment that from your time in athletics? You know, when, when you when you get older and and you retire, people always ask you, what is your greatest memory? What was the the best event. And, you know, my memories are not about events and not about wins and losses, but they're about the people you got mm. to impact along the way. Just uh, last week, I was in Nashville watching two grandsons playing the state tennis tournament. And a young lady came up and said, Joan, you know, I played on your tennis team in um, 1984 at the University of Tennessee. And I want to say thank you. I am now the mother of two children that are playing high school tennis. And uh, it's those kind of things that make you feel good about what you've done. That's so good. What what advice would you give a young leader? So somebody's sitting there, they're a college student, they're early 20s, they're rich on dreams, rich on ideas. As, as somebody who has blazed an incredible path, what advice would you give somebody young that's that's on the front end of all of this? You know, there are a thousand lists of people use, but just off the top of my head, when I think about it, you know, I would advise them to follow their dreams. I would advise them that people are probably the most important thing in helping you mm -hmm. succeed. I would advise them that never bend their core values. Mm -hmm. That's the most important thing you have, your integrity, your faith or the most important thing that you have. So never, ever sacrifice that. That's good. That is so, you know, and when you talk about integrity and you talk about that faith, I know you've been inducted into the, the uh, FCA hall of fame there in Tennessee. How big a role has faith played in your journey and not just in your journey, but in making you the leader that you are today? You know, I, I don't I don't see how anybody because whatever whether you're CEO of a corporation, the minister at a church, an athletic director, a coach, if you don't have that core value and that faith of, and belief, I don't know how you get through this because uh, there's always highs and lows. There are always the things that you say, what what should I do? How should I do it? And uh, the faith has been so important, and that's been an important ingredient in the, the job that I've been able to do. Fellowship of Christian Athletes has been a real partner with me in being able to share my faith 
with with our student athletes and provide them an opportunity to have somebody on campus that they can do Bible studies with, that they can have fellowship with. And uh, probably, you know, you talk about honors and, and these kind of things. Being inducted into the FCA Hall of Champions was was as big as it gets because that 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 was about what you really believe, not not what you won, not not the money you made, not the records you set, but it was about you, the person, and and that meant a whole lot to me. And I am so thankful that uh, I grew up in the family I did, where faith was an important role that we we it was just part of our life. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then to be able to carry that through my career has been real important. Were there any specific disciplines that you found really helped you? Because I know a lot of people, we we may grow up in church, but then we climb the ladder to head coach or athletic director or CEO, or we're a leader where others are depending on us and our faith can almost end up more in the background. Were there any things that you did, Miss Joan, to keep that faith alive in your life? Well, I, uh, I'm married well. Uh, I think, you know, I get, we get all asked about balancing life and how can you be a coach and be married and these kind of things. And, you know, I think no matter if if all of us count success differently, but if you count success as a male or a female, as having a great marriage, having children and having a good career, the most important thing you do is decide who you're going to marry because mm. it it has to be a partnership. You have to be able to work together. I I will never forget. I was athletic director at the College of Charleston, and my husband was a professor at the Citadel. Life was good. Charleston's not a bad place to have to live, and he had just been named Professor of the Year, and Tennessee came calling for me to come back as athletic director. And it was a major decision because the children were happy. Tom had a great job. I had a good job. And he looked at me and he said, Joan, your passion has always been making a difference in women's athletics. And you can do that from the platform that Tennessee provides better than we could here in Charleston. Mm. And I love to teach and I love to be a part of the um uh, a university system, and I I can do that, you know, wherever we go. And so it was his encouragement that that led me back to Tennessee, and uh, and then of course I said in the negotiation process, well, the next big job you get, I'll go with you. But in the in good faith, I have to say I did say my prayers many a time and say. Please let Tom be happy in his job because I'm really happy here. Don't be twisting God's arm on the side. That's not fair. I had to talk to God a little bit, and and it worked out beautifully (laughs) for both of us. Tom retired from Carson Newman as a a professor and had a wonderful career and, you know, made a difference in a lot of young people's lives as a professor. And as it turned out, for him, moving from the beach to the mountains was beautiful because his passion was fitness and exercise. He was an exercise physiologist. I, I, every day I almost run into a student that says, Ms. Cronin, remember when Dr. Cronin took me on the hike in the mountains? And he used that as his platform for teaching. How about that? 
That's awesome. How long were y'all married, Miss Joan? We were, mar- we were married um, right at 40 years. That's awesome. Unfortunately, the healthiest person that I know developed pancreatic cancer, and mm. we all know that, that that's, that's a hard battle. But, you know, even in that illness, I, I remember his leadership in that the day he was diagnosed, he looked me directly in the eye and said, now, Joan, you know that God did not give me this disease, but God cares how we respond. Mm. And, uh, and I said, well, you will respond better than I do, I'm sure. And, and he did. He did a beautiful job of getting out and sharing his faith and sharing uh, what fitness and wellness can do to, to help you battle that disease. And, wow. uh, he, he, he actually used it. He, was, he loved to ride a motorcycle. He, he rode his motorcycle from Knoxville to Miami to New York to San Francisco battling cancer and speaking to all the wellness groups across the country talking about how to battle cancer and uh if if uh, if you're a good morning america fan you might have seen him he was on good morning america and robin roberts got on the back of his motorcycle and rode down down broadway with him so uh you know he 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 did he he was one of those people that walked walked his faith and i'm so proud to have been a part of that journey that's that's amazing. That is amazing. I did not know I did not know that last piece of the story. I knew the battle he had walked through, but I didn't know about the whole Good Morning America thing. That's amazing. That's incredible. During during your time there at Tennessee, you had a pretty incredible opportunity to work with the legendary Pat Summit. I mean, I think anybody who understands coaching knows there's John Wooden and there's Pat Summit. 1,098 wins, 208 losses. It's just unbelievable. What was that experience like, being being there with her during that time? Well, I don't remember any of the losses. (laughs) (laughs) I remember lots of wins. But, you know, losses are part of life, and I'm being a little sarcastic there. But, you know, to have the opportunity to work with the best was was wonderful. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, and Pat and I worked together for over th- three decades, and, um, and you know, we, I get asked a lot about uh, how, was, how was it to be Pat Summit's boss? Yeah. And I said, you know, uh, being Pat Summit's friend, her colleague, the person that we both had so much of the same values and the same, we were driven in the same way. It was it was a pleasure. I mean, it was just un- unbelievable to have that opportunity. And I like to think we made a pretty good team. And that's mm. that's what being successful is is, is being a team. And uh, we we enjoyed enjoyed that journey. What what would you what would you say to a to someone who's leading a company or leading a you know a bit even even in the athletic world on a team where they have a very high powered high octane teammate that they are responsible for overseeing and coaching them but due to the way the responsibilities are laid out what is some advice you would give that you say this is how you can learn to let them succeed but we all succeed if they succeed how did, how did you learn to manage that Without well, feeling you know, threatened. It, 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 uh, yeah, no, it, it was, it truly was a partnership, Mike. It was, you know, I, I had 
areas that, that, you know, my job was to raise the money and get all the facilities and get everything. Always looked at my job. And you can think about this as being the, the senior minister, or you can think about it as being a CEO or an athletic director. Some people say, Joan, what does an athletic director do? And I always looked at my job was to make the coach's job the best it could be mm. to make the student athletes experience the best it could be. Cause that's what we were there for. You know, it wasn't only about wins and losses. It was about making that experience for the student athletes. So if you, if you're working with a high powered, high skilled, very driven person, my answer is work with them, you know, get your, get your goals aligned and, and, um, work with them. Don't, don't fight them. Be, be, be sure that you're, uh, you're going in the same direction. Would that, would that be hard if that leader who is leading them is ego driven themselves and they want it to be about them? Would that be almost impossible? Well, you know, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with having an ego. I, I, I do a lot of public speaking and I uh, sometimes speak to hospital organizations and I, I tell the CEOs, you know, their job as a CEO and my job as an athletic director are very similar. Our success depends on prima donnas, the doctors yeah. and the coaches. But, you know, I certainly wouldn't want a doctor to go in and operate on me that didn't have a good ego. Yeah. I don't think I've ever hired a coach that's been successful that doesn't have a good ego. The key is controlling that ego and and getting it going in the right direction. So there's nothing wrong, I think, with, with an ego. I think it's a matter of where that passion is. That's so good. That is so good. Well, I you know, you look at it so many times and you go, man, you know, why can't you guys work together? And then you get involved in it and you see neither one of, they're both about themselves. They're not about a larger entity. And I yeah, wondered, I'm, you know, from your end, gosh, to manage that for that many years and for people maybe all to know Pat Summit's name, but maybe not know your name. And you were the mm -hmm. one behind the scenes making it happen. Is that, is that something that you ever struggled with? I didn't because, you know, Pat and I together, our goals were the same. And mm. I, and I think that that, that it would be very difficult if I was working with a coach who was really all about them mm -hmm. and not about the athlete. So Pat was all about the team and that was really what made her so successful. I get asked a lot, what made Pat so successful? What made Pat summit the successful coach she was? The first thing I would say is she was a great teacher. And I think that uh, she considered the basketball court her classroom. So she was always teaching things about life as well as about basketball. Mm. But she was also about helping young people be the best that they could be. She was about having our team of, of coaches, not only basketball coaches, but Ralph and Karen Weekly, who uh, – is probably or two of the most successful softball coaches in the country will tell you that Pat Summit was the coach that helped them get their program started and was always there to help. And she was she was a team player. And yes. I think that's what we, we use that term lightly, but being a team player is not easy. 
No. And being a team player means giving a little bit of yourself to somebody else. And that's what I think makes a great team is having those people that are. As you have had this vantage point of leadership through the years, I, I read where you say confidence comes in two forms, learning as much as you can about what you're doing and finding a mentor or coach to help you along the way. Was that something that you, even through the years where you're the trailblazer, you're the one out in front, was that something you always tried to do is keep that mentor and coach in your life as well? Yeah, you did. And, and again, I go back probably my best mentor was my husband and that we, we, we did a lot of working together in, in lots of projects, but it, it is important. Uh, I'm getting a huge award this summer from the national athletic directors association and it's, it's their uh, number one award. And when I think about it, it's not about Joan Cronin. It's about all those athletes, all of those coaches. It's about the team and what we could do together you know pat would somebody would say well you won eight national championships and her answer would be but i didn't score a goal wow you know the players scored the goal i didn't and i think that's if we can keep that in perspective i think you know the uh the journey is a lot more fun. Do you ever really arrive as a leader? I mean, even so you've been in one industry for 40 years. Did you ever feel like you arrived or did you always feel like you were continually learning? I always want to, want to, I want to keep learning. That's one of the things that uh, I'll uh, share something that uh, I call the bell system. And uh, you know, we get, all these things about keeping our priorities straight and trying to do too much. And I, I had that feeling one day I walked in from work and I thought, you know, I've said yes to too many things. What are you trying to do? So I said, you've got to come up with a system. And uh, I'm one of these people that love to make lists mm. and I love to check things off my list. I'm even guilty of sometimes of doing something and going back and putting on my list just to check it off because it feels good. <laughs> so I, I know that about me. So I came up with a system that I call the bell system. And my goal every day is to make the bells ring. Mm. Now, Mike, I would like to say that I do it every day. There, are, I, But I can tell you the days that I do, I feel a lot better about myself and I'm a lot better person. So obviously I write the letters B-E-L-L-S down and I'm going to, to check the B off, I'm going to read my Bible or do a devotional every day. And to check the E off, I'm going to exercise or do something physically that's good for me. To check one of the L's off, I'm going to learn something new every mm. day. Now, that doesn't mean that Oak Ridge is ever going to call me over there to be one of their scientists. But there's so much to learn and there's so much we can do that uh, I, I want to keep learning. And the second L is I'm going to write a letter or a note to somebody I'm thinking about, not one that I have to do, but one that I want to do, because I think that communication is so important. And a lot of people don't like this, but emails don't count. It has to be a handwritten note. Yeah. So uh, I like to do that. And then the S is the one that uh, I'm going to do a special project every day. Now, I did a lot better job of keeping life straight at the office than I did at home. I I basically hate housework. 
And uh, it's not something I wake up and think, oh boy, I get to do today. So I kind of have to make myself do that. And uh, so the special project could be as exciting as cleaning out the vegetable drawer in the refrigerator or my sock drawer. But it's just a a one one thing that I'm going to do every day to to make our house a better better home as far as that because I know that's a a weakness that I have. In fact, my son-in-law recently went to work for Electrolux and uh, I I called him and I said, Rhett, do not send me one of those vacuum cleaners. I've lived all of these years without one that fits in my hand. I don't want one now. You can send me some of those high-end cooking stuff, but not none of the vacuum cleaners. I love it. But you know, I just I so you know, I think you need to know yourself and know know what you do. And that's been a way that I can just consciously try to keep my priorities straight. That is I love that. I have never heard that before expressed that way, but I love that. In fact, I used to have a professor in college. She said she always kept the vacuum cleaner out because when somebody would come over, she would say, I was just getting started when you came over and said it never moved. It just stayed there all the time. <laughs> so she just <laughs> left it there. So said, you, you caught me, you I, caught I, me I right at the right know, spot. I don't even know where mine is. So that's good. <laughs> that's how I am with tools. So that's good. Yeah. I'm glad to know I have a friend. That is so good. Well, that, that, that Bell's system is so good. And I, you know, in that world, even on that, that special note and not being an email, that is a lost art. And the people yeah. I remember years ago sitting down with a young man and he played for Coach Ron Polk at Mississippi State. Oh, well, gosh, he played yeah. for him actually at Georgia. And he said, Mike, I still get a handwritten birthday card from him every year. And he said he That's will track great. down. Yeah. And and he said it stands out because nobody does that anymore. So yeah, I love I that. And I, and I, and I'm addicted, you know, I'm, I'm sitting right here with my iPad in my hand and, uh, you know, I, I'm addicted to, I think the iPad is the best toy tool we've ever, ever been invented. And I love emails. And I, I, uh, in fact, uh, my uh, grandchildren, when I had the, uh, the 70th birthday, uh, wrote, picked out 70 things that they loved about Grandy. And one of them was that I uh, had um, I always got all the new gadgets. That's and great. so I'm always looking for ways to get, get better and get do, you know, do something easier. So emails and text messages are all a part of my life, but there is something about a handwritten note. I totally agree. I totally agree. And I love, I love that. That is, that, that's gonna, there's a lot of people that are listening in that will go. And I promise you the thing a lot of people are going to remember about this episode will be bells because that puts, mm -hmm. that's just a great way to remember that. Well, I know that you came out with a new book. That's been incredible sports is life with a volume turned up lessons that apply to business and life. Do you feel like sports is just a common denominator that speaks into life as well as anything else? I do. And, you know, of course I am a little bit prejudiced in that regard, but I, I challenge you tonight to go home and watch the evening news or the weather or one of your sitcom comics somewhere in there a lot of times they use sports terminology to get a point across so i think it's it's the it's a common term that people understand i think it is a wonderful way to teach all the things you know one of the things that we're working on with the pat summit leadership group 
is a definite dozen. And it's the 12 things that, you know, we try to, to teach it in there. It's discipline. It's, it's confidence. It's focus. And, you know, that's what a game does. And that's what's right. neat about it is, uh, you know, you, you win or lose in a certain amount of period. You know, it's, if you if you start a church, it might take you years before you feel like, look what I've done and look where mm-hmm. look where the Lord has led us. But um, if we play Georgia this afternoon, we'll know whether we won or lost, and probably we'll know some of the things we need to work on immediately. I always so, talk about the instructions that a coach has to do during a timeout. Mm. When you think about it, you know, if coach calls timeout. They uh, if it's basketball. They have to change. They can change offenses, change defenses, know who to pat on the back, know who to give a little kick in the rear. And you have to know each other and you have to trust each other to be able to do that in that amount of time. That's why I love to watch young people. I was in Atlanta this weekend and with the, uh, the baseball tournaments and to watch all of these young people working together and playing and cheering and um it was, it's, it's really fun to see. You know, in one of your chapters, I know you talk about one of the core competencies in this is people. Why, why no matter what field you're in is leadership all about people? What, what do you think about that? Well, it's, it's one thing it's where uh, there's a bunch of unique individuals out there and we're trying to put them on a team. So I think that, um, you know, what you have to do is be sure that everybody understands each other and respects each other. You don't have to like each other, but you have to respect each other. And uh, and you have to be willing to give and take. And there's so many things that being on a team sport teaches you. And uh, I just, uh, I think it's so important. One of my favorite, favorite sayings is in, in life and in tennis, it is better to serve than receive. That's good. And I think I think that's so true. You know, we uh, when you think about it, you know, you your best players are are your, usually your best servers, and uh, and that's so important in life too. Is not just looking at what you can get, but looking at what you can give others. You've you've been on the sideline. You've you've been that coach calling timeout. You've been that leader, even in an athletic department with high functioning, high driven leaders. They're all unique. God put them together all differently, yet they're coming together to form a team. How did you find building trust happened? So it doesn't just, you don't just put them together and they all immediately trust each other. How how does it happen that you build trust in that organization? I think, first of all, everybody has to understand what your purpose is. And then the other thing that you have to do, and sometimes we get so in a hurry to get from A to B that we forget about the importance of really knowing each other. Mm. And, you know, we laugh about in the in the office, they, I can remember the sitcoms used to be talking about the, the person at the water fountain or the one who was always going to get coffee. Sometimes that person is really important because they're getting to know who's on their team and what they're all about and, you know, what makes you tick. And I think you ask any any manager, what's your biggest problem? And they're going to say people. Yeah, and right. we we need to spend the time with our people. 
it's just really important that, uh, you know, managing by walking around is a lot, lot to do about it. You know, you, you've got to show up. They've got to know you care. They've got to know that, that you're watching what they're doing. How did you do that with such a vast athletic department as large as Tennessee's? What was a way that you did that? It became a function of your life. Well, you know, I always looked at it, and this this is what made my journey so great, is I got paid to do what everybody else paid to do. Mm. You know, I going to games, getting on a bus and traveling with a team across state, uh, getting on an airplane and flying to Europe with them. You, you know, just getting to know them and spending the time um, walking in an office and saying, hey, I was just thinking about you. Uh, picking up the phone after a, a big loss to a coach and say, you know, that was tough, but we, we, we'll play another game tomorrow, you know. And those kind of things, I think, are so important. And sometimes we as leaders just think about dotting the I and crossing the T and what the bottom line looks like. And really it's all about people. That's so good. You know, and I love your, in your building blocks too. You talk a lot about passion. One of your, one of your chapters is breaking down Mm -hmm. what passion looks like. Can you be a great leader without passion? I don't think you can. I really don't. You can for a short amount of time. You can be the leader that comes in and, cuts and slices and, and, you know, gets the bottom line and get, get sales up. But if that's all you're interested in and you're not interested in the people you're working with and the company, it's not going to last. It's not going to last. I think you have to have that passion. I, I can remember ESPN coming in and wanting to do an interview and they said, you know, Joan, what made the Lady Vols so successful? Well, you know, I wanted to give them my 30-minute speech, but we all know ESPN likes sound bites. So I simply said, we have developed a pride and a passion, mm. and we all want to be on the same team. And that's and that was so true. And, and, and you know, whether it's in your church or in your circle meeting or in your rotary or at the, in, at the bank, you know it when it's all working. And it's amazing how one person off step can mess that up. Boy, isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? So here you are in life. You've accomplished so much. You've retired from your full-time job there at Tennessee. What's next for you? I I can tell you're not somebody that's going to sit still. What's what's the next mark you want to make? Somebody asked me, I've I failed retirement. I'm not, not real good. I haven't <laughs> learned to say no. Somebody said, what's the best thing about retirement? And the answer should be is that no can be a complete sentence. You know, oh, Joan or Mike, would you like to? No, but, you know, that's hard hard to do. But I really have enjoyed the opportunity to uh, to sit back and, and watch some of the teams. You know, I'm still really involved at UT and, you know, if, if they're playing, I like to be there. I'm, I'm on the advisory board of the law school and the advisory board of the business school, which I just love being a part of that. And, uh, I'm on more boards than I like to count. And I'm, uh, but I, you know, I like to give back and that's really 
what I like to do. And I am playing a lot more golf, but Mike, I have to admit my handicaps not getting lower. So I'm getting frustrated. So <laughs> I think it's off to get some lessons soon, but I, you know, I think, um, life is a journey and then life is about the, the people you meet, meet along the way and, and trying to make a difference. I was standing in line at the post office and the postmaster knows me and he said, Hey, Joan, the man behind you makes tombstones. Why don't you, I bet you if you told him what you wanted, he would make you one. And um, I laughed and I, and I thought about it a minute. And I thought, you know, if I had a tombstone, what I would want it to say was I made a difference. Mm. And that's, that's what we all go about every day is, is trying, trying to make a difference. And uh, the world right now needs, needs different makers you know, we, we need leaders who are willing to step up and say, we're not going to do this. This is what's right. And um, I'm hoping that I can be a little part of that, you know, as, as we go forward. Mike, I heard a definition of a, uh, my best definition of a leader, and it actually came from Jerry Jones, who owns the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, Jerry and I were on a panel one day, and uh, now I get mad at Jerry because he fired Tom Landry. I think when you open up a dictionary and it says professional football coach, it's going to say Tom Landry. And, uh, but uh, he gave a definition that I really liked. He said a leader was a person with a vision. And we see that in lots of things that we do. You know, every definition of a leader has to have a vision. But he said a leader is a person of a vision, with a vision and the sphere of influence to make it happen. Well, that's good. And I think what we go about every day is developing that sphere of influence, you know, with uh, looking at, you know, with this Pat Summit Foundation and the Pat Summit Leadership Group we're working on to help continue Pat's legacy and to raise money to find that cure for that awful disease of Alzheimer's. I think that uh, what we're trying to do is develop that influence to be able to make those things happen. That is so good. Well, I know this. You, just by taking the time to share today, you have made others better. But that's a small a small ripple in a larger sea of influence that you've had through the years. And if what you've done for the past 40 years of making a difference is anything compared to what you've done for the last 40 minutes, I have a feeling the difference you've made has been huge. So thank well, have, you so I have, much. I, I have absolutely loved it. Your, your your sense of leadership and what, what you want to share is so outstanding. And I, I'll close with this. Uh, my favorite Bible verse is Luke 12, 48. And it says, to whom much is given, much is required. Mm. And I hope that you and I get to continue to give back and give back in a way that would be pleasing in our Lord's eye. I hope you enjoyed that time with Miss Cronin. My goodness, I sure did. It was one of those funny things. When we got done with a call, I don't think I wanted to get off the call. I knew she had other things to get on to, but I was learning so much. Probably one of my favorite things about the conversation was her ability to build a structure. Now, almost everybody in athletics, and really many across the world know the name Pat Summit. 
many of you, like me, did not know the person behind the scenes that built the team that Pat Summit played for, Joan Cronin. What amazed me was the question, was it, was that hard to lead her? And when she said, my job was to make things easier so she could do her job, it was like, yeah, that's it. And you know what word goes along with that? Humility. You know, I think all of us in our leadership want to be known. But are we okay building a base and building a structure so others can be known? Well, that's a question I have to wrestle with all the time. I love for people to know who I am. I like that. That's sort of fun and cool. But am I okay if God's purpose for me was to help build something to make someone else better, to make someone else more well-known, to make someone else the star of the show? And that's humility, isn't it? Isn't that what Christ said when he talked about humility? We put others before we put ourselves. Joan Cronin did that. And boy, did she leave a legacy, and did she leave something for all of us to know and aspire to. Thank you so much, Ms. Cronin, for your time with us. Well, next week, we get to sit down with another guy. You know his product. You know what he represented. You may not know him. His name is Steve Robinson. Steve served for years and years and years at Chick-fil-A as a right-hand to Truett Cathy and Dan Cathy and help build the brand we know today as Chick-fil-A. And one of the interesting things you're going to learn about Steve is how he helped build the product of the Chick-fil-A Bowl, which is now one of the premier bowl games and one of the playoff bowls for Chick-fil-A. And I'm telling you, you are going to let, I learned so much about business and marketing and life but I learned a lot about Jesus through Steve. So I can't wait for you to join in on episode 36 next Monday when we sit down with Steve. Well, I hope you'll share this podcast with a friend. You'll tweet about something you learned from Joan Cronin so others can hear about what God's doing through Lynch with a Leader, not through my words, but through the words of some amazing, amazing leaders. Well, today I pray you go out and be the leader that you were created to be in the space and the place that God has put you. And I promise you this, if you do that, you will make the mark he called you to make. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.